fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. Finally, I'm Dalton. <laughs> Dalton <laughs> says that because we are we are now at minute seven and a half of recording just because I haven't started the podcast <laughs> because I just wanted to talk to my friend and now he's probably hungry or something because he hasn't eaten dinner. That's right. And That's right. The alcohol is more effective this way though. It's a, it it's really, a strategy. Yeah. So yeah, it's str- yeah very strategic and I and I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh yeah, podcast. Anyways, so we uh, <laughs> we we have a board game episode for y'all this week. We're going to talk about Euro games versus Ameritrash games, and yes. so this is a couple of terms that are thrown around fairly often in the industry. And we wanted to kind of consolidate a definition, put that out, and then kind of talk about the pros and the cons of each one, or not really pros and cons, but the differences between those to see what maybe you lean towards, or if you know. Like me, I definitely have an affinity for one of them, and we'll see if you can guess by the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to do that. We're going to probably talk about some recommendations or just kind of talk through some games that fall under each category. But while we're doing that, we are going to be enjoying a beverage. Yes. Would you like to start out tonight? I, uh, yeah, you know what? I haven't been talking. So yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's tired of listening to you yet. I mean, we are what 40 ish episodes in mm-hmm. and i think people got tired of listening to me around two so. <laughs> that's right if they're still listening they're immune so you're free to go ahead <laughs> yeah yeah there's actually a filter that you can just filter my voice out it's nice i'm drinking the elijah craig straight rye and so elijah craig we kind of have jokingly but maybe hopefully sometime it won't be a joke is the sponsor of the fantasy and some flights podcast that's the right. official the official bourbon of the fantasy and some flights podcast yep and they that's currently the, give us zero dollars for that title and we're hoping you know in our next contract negotiation um <laughs> to yeah, address that. which is which is coming up within yeah. the next couple of time periods yes so <laughs> time period undefined yes yeah i i've reached out to them a couple of times and they have responded to me asking me please stop spamming this account so we're we're making headway yeah we're, we're making we'll get, headway we'll get there it's a war of attrition i respect so, that and we'll get there yeah i mean it's get. yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> i have not had the rye I've, I've had obviously a lot of regular elijah craig but i i've not tasted the rye yeah so the rye like i i knew it existed and then one of our listeners amram kind of you know bought it and tried it and said that he liked it and it's it's good it's where it's kind of falling for me is it's not my favorite rye and it's not elijah craig for yeah. me so right it, it does sit right there at the 94 proof and it i think the reason it's not my favorite rye is it only uses a mash of 51 percent rye and then the okay. rest is corn or no i'm sorry the rest is grain instead of corn and so it's like with my rye, i like that spicy kind of hit you in the face flavor and you really don't get a lot of that here yeah it's more of a smooth honey flavor and it's it's like a poser of a rye like it's (laughs) it's trying it's just not there and then not being there is kind of hurting it and so it's not something that i'm going to probably pick up again so in that case i'm probably going to give it a two cheers it's but it's not bad right yeah. it, it's something that if someone offers it to me i would drink it but 
I may like it more if it wasn't Elijah Craig, and it just may be my own personal bias. I'm not quite sure, yeah. but it that that's kind of where I'm sitting at. It's, I mean, I'm glad I tried it. Uh, I just don't know if I'm going to pick up another bottle. Yeah, I've always kind of wondered if it was a bit of a like a marketing grab. Probably, I guess. yeah. Like, like it's weird because it's like Heaven Hill has rise, right? Like they have they own Pikesville. Um, which so is have, good, yeah, yeah. Which Pikesville is good. I do. I like Pikesville. Um, they own Rittenhouse, which is um, we, we've like we talked about. I think two episodes ago, maybe it's like a, it's like a staple. It's a bar staple. It's like an extremely good value rye. Um, so, but the point is, so they already have rye, right? It's not like it's not like Heaven Hill needed to introduce a rye. So it's weird that they took like their like sort of flagship bourbon and like rebranded it as a rye. You know, like that. It's kind of a weird take, I guess, for me. Yeah, and I I guess like it got me to buy a bottle, and that's true. So, yeah. but like I I feel like a business can't sustain with only buying one bottle per customer, and so it's mm-hmm. like I I I I I think it's kind of what you were saying. It, it is a marketing gimmick, especially with a fifty one percent mash. Right? It's mm-hmm. it's trying to be both Elijah Craig and a Rye, technically a Rye, and it just kind of fails to meet either of those criteria, in my opinion. So yeah. And, that, and that, that, I think that's probably a good way to kind of just dis- kind of describe it. I, I say having never tasted it, um, <laughs> but I could see how <laughs> they would take kind of like the rye forward Elijah Craig and just kind of try and tweak the mash and see if they can get to a rye, you know, right. kind of, right. And kind of do it that way. But well, I'm sorry. It didn't hit so much for you. I think um, at two, I, it's like, I, I do want to try it at some point and just kind of develop my own. Right. For it. You know, maybe if you still have some left in the bottle next time I visit you, I'll grab a little I bit. do not. <laughs> you found it already. Yeah, it is gone. <laughs> this is the second episode, then I think in a row that you have finished a bottle on the episode. To be fair, I drink bourbon and I leave a drink for an episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is my new method of drinking bourbon. Gotcha. So gotcha. <laughs> You're allowed a bottle every like week or two, kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Alrighty. What's on your flight? Hopefully, it's awesome. a little bit better. Yeah, I am. Um, I am drinking Eagle Rare tonight, and I was really excited to find this. Eagle Rare is one that I've been um, wanting to pick up for a while. Um, and I actually, like, I found it at my local kind of, like, major, um, it's called Wyatt's. It's just, like, a big warehouse-style uh, liquor store. And I overheard a guy telling, like, one of the store employees kind of walking someone through a purchase. Like, the the guy was kind of like, he, he was like, I, you know, I want to get a whiskey for my a whiskey for my son. Um, he's like him and his friends really like it. I don't know anything, you know, can you like help me out kind of thing? Gotcha. And so he was like talking him through it and he ended up settling on, um, Eagle rare because it's from Buffalo trace. And so like Eagle rare would be kind of like the step up from just like flagship Buffalo trace. It has a very similar like mash bill and everything. Like it's, it's meant to just be like a slightly nicer version. Um, but will taste very familiar if you do like it. Um, but Buffalo trace also has like some all-star brands, it has uh, E.H. Taylor. Um, it has uh, Sazerac Rye. It has Blanton's, right? The one with the little horses on the cor- on the cork. Expensive ones. Yeah, the expensive one. And it has Pappy <laughs> Van Winkle, right? Which is the like, really expensive one. Yeah, the real like everyone loves Pappy, <laughs> right? And so all of that comes from Buffalo Trace. Um, they also oh, okay. have W.L. Weller, which was is like one of the one. only weeded like bourbons that I've ever really liked. Oh, um, okay, cool. It's kind of like on par with Buffalo Trace. Like Buffalo Trace is their rye one, and Weller is their weeded one. They also have George T. Stack. There's just like a lot of good brands coming out of like the Buffalo Trace distillery. And so I've been meaning to try more out of it. I've been looking for E.H. Taylor and Eagle Rare specifically. 
Um, and so I was, I was just really glad to find it. So did it live up to the hype is the real question. I think for its price point, it's very good. It, it's it's just not like flashy. like it's, That was a very political answer. Yeah. Well, it's like priced, <laughs> it's priced at like around 40 Okay. And like, I do enjoy it. It just like doesn't have anything that's like special maybe, or like sets it apart. Like it, okay. you like taste it and you're like, that, that's a really good bourbon. Like it's <laughs> okay. everything that yeah. I expect out of a bourbon. It has a nice, really long, like finish. Um, it like doesn't have like too much of a nose, which is like a little bit disappointing for me. Um, but it has like, you know, very standard, like oaky, like obviously oaky flavors. And it has sort of like apple pie crust type flavors going on. Interesting. Okay. I don't think I've yeah. ever heard. And so like I would. A bourbon. Descri- bourbon flavors described as apple pie crust before but like i get it <laughs> like like i i know what you're meaning it's just like there's not yeah. a descriptor that i've heard before so that's kind of i like it cool okay i think i will see apple pie in just like reviews relatively frequently um for bourbons for whatever reason it just feels like apples that like soft fruity flavor um yeah pie crust gets in like grainy it gets in like caramel flavors it gets in like toasted flavors like you know it's just like one word that kind of like amalgamizes all of that. If amalgamizes yeah. Yeah, is yeah, a yeah, word, yeah. but it brings all of those tastes together for you. So it's kind of a shortcut word for describing yeah. a lot of flavors, but I would give it three cheers. Like I'd be happy to buy it again. You know, if I find it kind of thing, it's a little harder to find it here in Colorado actually than it was in Indiana. It's one of those things where it's like, I always saw it in like liquor stores in Indiana and I should have just been picking it up more, <laughs> more regularly. So what you're saying is I could find it pretty easily. More than likely. Yeah. Okay. I may look for that. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially if you like Buffalo Trace, right? This is just like the next price point up. This is their kind of one of their major mid tiers. It's Eagle Rare. Good. Well, I, I'm happy. I'm happy that you like it. I'm happy that it lived up to the hype a little bit more than the Rye did. So that's yeah, exciting. For sure. Sweet. For sure. Awesome. Do you have a little bit more of that that I could try when I come visit? Or right now, it's in my like um, it's in my decanter because. Um, oh I, yeah. Have we talked about uh-huh. decanting whiskey at all? No, we yeah, have not. They do this really amazing thing where they make whiskeys look cool and they don't do anything else <laughs> i love that right <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to be like yeah i have my whiskey in a decanter because i'm like really sophisticated <laughs> can i pour you a drink yes <laughs> and they're like is it fancy and you're like it's fancy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh is it fancy it's, it's actually just squishy bottle whiskey but <laughs> right? it looks awesome in this decanter <laughs> that's right i took it out of the squishy bottle and i put it in glass <laughs> no it's better <laughs> um so i, I may think- or may not have some by the time you get here because i try to like i try to drink through the stuff in the decanter so that i can you know have more things in the decanter so i can make more things fancy mm. um, but actually in, in all seriousness i try to use it for my like um like like semi-celebration just like kind of uh special occasion type um bourbon i have like cool. my super special one that's not in the decanter um, I try to use the decanter for that though, for just the, like I had, um, bookers in it previously and I had barrel sing like barrel, which is the brand, not like the actual description okay, is, yeah. is barrel bourbon. Like, there's just like no way that they get any sort of like search engine hits on <laughs> barrel bourbon, you know? <laughs> um, but I had that in there for a long time. Um, and right now I just don't have one. And so I put this in there cause it was kind of a, a fun find. And so I was, I was like, I'll just drink through it a little faster than normal. That's awesome. All right. So let's talk about, um, Let's talk about board games. What's been on? Board games. What's been on our table. Um, I know board last episode games. you were prepping for packs. So this episode you are recently back from packs, <laughs> and I am hungover from packs, <laughs> both from like an alcohol consumption as well as just like a emotional consumption. I mean, yeah. packs was incredible. I absolutely adore Gen Con. I will always love Gen Con. I had so much more fun at packs 
than I've ever had at Gen Con. Wow. And the thing is, is like, I didn't play an absurd amount of games. Like I, I played games. I got to demo some new games and everything, but all the joy was really from meeting people. And so mm-hmm. there, I met a lot of great people. I met a lot of people at Gen Con and, and that was amazing, but I met so many more people at PAX and just, I think it's probably just being in the Philadelphia area. A lot of our friends that we've met online are kind of up in the East. And I think Philly is a little bit easier to get to than Indy for people yeah. maybe out West. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to meet so many wonderful people. I was able to meet, you know, three of the other board vengers. So we met Professor Meg. I met uh, McKay, the board game critic. And then I met Roberto, the Nick Fury of the board vengers. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sheer boredom. And, like, it, they're just wonderful people. We got to play games with them. We got to record our first board vengers video, which is going to be uh, dropping at the beginning of the year. And so excited about that let's it's all about how do or how do we get rid of games is kind of the the flag or the first video and so that was a lot of fun to do and it it was just really cool to meet some of the designers just a lot of the other media people yeah it it was just i mean it it was it was great but i've already talked a lot about meeting people uh (laughs) kind of at gen con so let's talk about some games that that kind of went on at uh pax yeah and i think the biggest thing that was announced at PAX, and I was at the panel where it was announced, and I think this is what we need to lead off with, mm-hmm. is, uh, how do I want to start this? Okay, so the panel was with Our Families Plays Games, which is a phenomenal YouTube channel. You should go check them out. And Isaac Childress, the designer of Gloomhaven. Yeah. And the panel was called Frosthaven and Beyond. So they kind of talked, and they were giving some insights into what Frosthaven is going to look like. Mm-hmm. They talk about how, like, you know, we're building up the town, how some of the iconography was changing and uh-huh. all of that. And that, that was all really interesting. And then they made the big announcement that they're going to produce minis for Gloomhaven, which is absurd. Like, so <laughs> all monsters, all summons, all everything will get a mini. Wow. Which is a huge undertaking because if you are familiar with the gloomhaven universe at all all of the monsters from just gloomhaven barely fit in a gallon size bag and they're standees they're cardboard standees yeah there are a lot of monsters and if you amplify that into a miniature format you're going to be spending hundreds of dollars on this kickstarter crowdfunding campaign yeah for sure but they are doing it they're not doing like a one box they're kind of they're still trying to figure out how they're going to divvy it up so okay. maybe it's like all of the inox characters are in a box and okay. you can buy the inox box or they're so they're they're trying to make it strategic because there's a lot of cross monsters from forgotten circles um jaws of the lion gloomhaven frosthaven so they they don't want to sell a gloomhaven box yeah because then you're going to duplicate what you have if you buy frosthaven yeah and so they're trying to find a strategic way to sell it and i think i i really appreciate that and then they gave out a prototype mini to everyone who attended. And so oh, I've got, I got this little berserker guy. That's awesome. As a mini. And yeah. so, it, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to ever buy it because it's yeah. an absurd amount of money. But I just thought it was really cool. And so many people have been calling for minis for the Gloomhaven universe for so long. Yeah. That I think that there are a lot of very excited people out there. Yeah. And 
I, I have to kind of tell the story of how they set it up. And you can go watch the panel on our Family Plays Games YouTube. But they kind of were asking questions from, like, pulling from Reddit or BGG. And they <laughs> they started asking, like, when are there going to be minis? And Isaac is kind of the person, he, like, does not want minis. He's like, it, there's so many minis. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't add to the game enough to, to go through that kind of uh, journey to make the minis. And yeah. then they, like, it's like, okay, okay. And then they went to another question, like, where are the minis? He's like, that's the same question. And then <laughs> they, like, asked it again. And Isaac was like, you want it? Okay, cut the lights. And then, like, they started playing the video of, like, the promo video. And everyone was just like, oh, my gosh. And then, like, they paused the video. And the video title was just ca- titled, okay, fine, dot mp4. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And I just thought that was hilarious. That but- is really funny. So we, we had a we had a conversation about this exact topic in like our, our most recent Board Vengers um, episode, the one that we hosted, where there was there was a there was a discussion around like do minis versus just like cardboard standees, do they really add that much, right? Where because um, they do cost a lot of like there, there's a lot yeah. of money in design and manufacturing and they can really drive up the cost of a board game um, that some people really enjoy and others like don't really care all that much about and so now it's like i want access to this game but i'm having to pay like a 90 dollar price tag for a game that really shouldn't be 90 dollars. it should be like right. 40 to 60 um, just yep. based on the content of the game but the minis drove it up that much right and gloomhaven's already an incredibly expensive game yeah. um, and so it, it doesn't make sense for them to try and do many especially when cardboard standees are totally functional and they still have their own artwork and stuff they can still be really nice it's not like it's cheap um, right but when when they decouple that it makes gloomhaven approachable right um as a at a price point when it's already like actually very very expensive it's already right. like buying three or four board games yeah um in, in just the one um, but it has such a following now right it has all of these incredibly invested fans they're the type of people who are going to just be willing to buy standees just because they look cool and they want to paint them right like this right. is a big yeah. hobby for a lot of people and so i appreciate that they have maintained this the like segregation right they've maintained the distinction of tr- still trying their best to make the game accessible while now it's kind of like catering to the fan base of like you know what if this is something you want we'll make it and then you can we'll take your money i guess <laughs> yeah yeah and kudos to those who buy them i am so looking forward to the pictures because it will look amazing yeah like they these minis are they're they're not 3D printed. They're I think they're resin. Like okay. so they're very high quality. Mm-hmm. They're I mean like you're you're not going to get like crappy quality out of these things. And so people who get them are going to be very happy with them. And yeah. So I'm really excited to see pictures and I'm really excited that they're doing it. So Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so that that was that was just kind of an exciting surprise that kind of I didn't really see coming. Yeah. Because it's I my guess is like I was trying to throw an over under on the all in Kickstarter pledge, and I was saying four hundred. Wow! Because I mean, you got Forgotten Circles, Jaws of the Lion, Gloomhaven, and Frosthaven. Yeah, and yeah, that's a lot of minis. That's four hundred minis, probably. Mm-hmm. And so, dollar yeah, especially a mini, depending on how many like um, copies they do, right? Cause right. Like, yep. Especially for like the monsters, you can spawn multiple monsters on the on the map at any one time, and so. Walk into a room and all of a sudden there's twelve fucking oozes. I hate those oozes. They <laughs> suck. <laughs> so they have to print like twelve moose ooze minis, you know? Yep. Moose yep. moose innies. Moose innies. Yeah. Man, you that alcohol is hitting you hard, isn't it? Amen. <laughs> yeah. But that that was just a super awesome ex- uh announcement. You know, we we're big fans of Gloomhaven, so 
I'm excited to bring you that news. Yeah, for um, sure. So, really so exciting. that was exciting. Some of the other things. So I, I bought one game. Well, one expansion. And so this was very strategic on my part. I flew to Philly. Yeah. And I didn't check a bag because I knew if I checked a bag, then I would <laughs> fill the bag. You would be irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> I would be very irresponsible. And yeah. Instead, I was very fiscally irresponsible at the bars. And so... <laughs> <laughs> I spent my money on stuff I couldn't take back. And <laughs> <laughs> but I, the, the one game that I bought, or the expansion that I bought, is CGE just put out a expansion to Lost Ruins of Arnak. And so Lost Ruins of Arnak, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's kind of a newer worker placement mm-hmm. deck building game yeah. from CGE. And it's gotten rave reviews. It and I have given it rave reviews. I mean, it, it's a game that I, I really enjoy. Every single time I play it, I like it more. Yeah. And this is the kind of expansion that I want in this type of game. And so from our expansion episode, we kind of defined a couple of different types of expansions. And this is one of them that adds content rather than like new mechanics, really. And yeah. so it adds new mechanics, very sh- small, as asymmetrical player powers, which is a good expansion in my opinion mm-hmm. gives kind of people a different path forward and i like that yeah and then it just adds a little bit more of the same so it's adding more cards it's adding more monsters it's adding more sites to visit and then what's really cool is on in lost ruins of Arnak, you have this uh ex- exploration temple track that you're going up mm-hmm. and then you can flip the board over and it has a different one and the expansion comes with two more exploration tracks or oh, temple fun. tracks. Yeah. And so it's just adding variety and not changing really any mechanics outside of kind of the new new explorers. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was just it was kind of an instant buy for me. And they said that they had limited copies available, and so that always will get me to buy something. <laughs> and and then when I left on Sunday, they probably had seventy more left. So but Yeah. I I'm, I haven't gotten it to the table yet, so unfortunately, I'm hoping to get it out maybe next week, which I guess is this week that you're listening to it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I I want to play that, which will be really cool. Um, it's a game that lends itself to expansions. Like it was definitely developed with that potential in mind, um, right. but it already has a lot going on. Trying to combine yeah. worker placement with deck building and trying to figure out like okay how do you get new cards in your deck and how do you trash cards out of your deck right like um, there's already a lot of variability in in play right you can have at least three major like strategy types and and kind of dominate your that would dominate a specific play so there's already a lot to explore and i think like like twilight imperium has fallen into this trap before where they've like just added new things to do um, yeah and it's like there's already so much to do in this game right like it, it, yeah you know it's not going to support that and the lost ruins and lost ruins of arnak is like not as long as you think it's going to be right like, it, yeah it's very reasonable i think our average is like an hour and a half yeah yeah so it's not like you can have all this time to just like explore like things to do in the game and so i think that like i'm always going to enjoy asymmetry um i'm always going to enjoy that specifically in a game that has a lot of choices and it's going to like guide your path a little bit I think from the way you've described it, it sounds like a very intelligent expansion. What like kind of what was the price point for it? Uh, I think it was thirty. Okay, yeah, that's that's about like the range an expansion should be yeah. in my mind, right? In the twenty to thirty range, depending on how much they add. Yeah, and Arnak is not a cheap game. I think it's seventy. Mm-hmm. Like I usually think of a game being around sixty, but I'm pretty sure Arnak was seventy. Mm-hmm. Which, like, you're you're paying for a game. Like it, it's a very good game. Like it's yeah, it's great. But also like it has amazing components 
and I think you're paying for that a little bit. Yeah. Like all the resources are like tactile resources and shaped and okay. all of that. It's not like cardboard resources or anything. Yeah. And so I think you're paying for that a little bit. And so the the thirty dollar price point felt very reasonable to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I, I I'm gonna say the last thing that I want to talk about from PAX, which let's be honest, we're probably gonna I'm probably gonna bring it up again. Yeah, probably. At something, it's something's going to remind me about it, and we'll talk about it more. But the last thing that I kind of had in my notes that I wanted to talk about was actually the last game I played at PAX. And so I played this game with Roberto and Kate, so Sheer Boredom and his fiance. Mm-hmm. And so I, I played it with them, and they, they had just bought the game, and it's called, it's called Dice Throne. It's a game that I've kind of always heard. It's by Roxley, which is the people who do like Brass Birmingham and, um, like steampunk or steam 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 hmm, words uh something steam rally fusion i'm not familiar yeah fact check me i don't care um (laughs) (laughs) but steam into board game geek and see what see what uh, pops up steampunk rally there's one that's just called steam um there's age of steam you may have heard of it and then yes that's it rally is the one you're thinking steampunk rally yep so all of that is irrelevant information. So, <laughs> so Dice Throne is Battle Yahtzee. It's a very asymmetrical game where you're sitting across the table from, typically it's a two-player game. So it can be a four-player game and you play 2v2, or the way we played it was a 1v1v1, and I think it thrives at a 2v2 or a 1v1. But okay. it's a very asymmetrical game where you have a class and six character-specific dice to you. And on your turn, you get to draw a card, you get a combat point, and then you get to roll your dice. And based on what you roll, then exactly like Yahtzee, you can re-roll as many of those as you want uh, again, and then one more time. Whenever you are finished or satisfied with your roll, you have, I think it is, I want to say like 12 things that you can do with your dice maybe 13 okay things that you can do with your dice based on what you have rolled and so like if you roll all sixes then you get to unlock their ultimate power and do like some crazy effect to some people or like if you roll like you know a straight then that does a different effect and every single effect is different per each class and so it see it was it was awesome like i I was blown away by how good it was. <laughs> like, like I was playing the ranger basically, and so I had this animal yeah. companion, and like I'm inflicting like bleed damage. So at the beginning of everyone's turn, they have to roll a dice, and on a one through four, they take one damage. Mm. And the objective of the game is to bring your opponents down to zero, and like, and then all the cards in your hand upgrade your actions. And so instead of doing like three damage whenever you roll three ones, you're doing four damage, mm. and or something like that. Right? Yeah. That was a very simplified an- or explanation of that. Or they have, like, action cards. So it's, like, whenever you are rolling defense dice, roll one extra or something like that. And it costs a point. And so it was just super asymmetric and just, like, it it was a lot of fun. And right now, the very tempting thing right now is that they have the Marvel version on Kickstarter. Oh. (laughs) And that is a dangerous combination for Nelson's wallet. (laughs) (laughs) We know you're a sucker. I am very much a sucker. Marvel IP and that. The thing is, is that because it's so contained, if you've played Villainous, it's kind of like that, where everything is kind of contained to you, but you're still interacting. It's something that would be very easy 
if you have a character or if you've bought an expansion or something that you can easily play with someone over a webcam. Mm. And so with like Roberto and Kate, they bought like one of the boxes. And so like if I buy an expansion with three or four characters or something, then, you know, I can just get on and play a 30 minute game. Or if yeah. like y- you bought three or four characters or something, <laughs> I, I could buy three or four characters and then we could get on and just really quickly play a game. Yeah. It's just an option. That I'm <laughs> Hypothetically, maybe if someone wanted to do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was just super unique. It, it was some, it was one of those games that like looking at, it, I was like, meh. But when I sat down and played it, it was one of the, the bigger surprises for me of how much I actually enjoy playing the game. Yeah. So yeah, it's really funny. I was just like, I was looking it up quickly here and it's like, this is not a highly rated game on BGG. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, it's, it's way down there. BGG will tend, first of all, towards more complicated games in general. Like, it will reward complicated games. It may punish things that feel like a reskin, right? Like, people can be critical of that. So, it's like, oh, it's Yahtzee, but this other thing. Like, sometimes BGG punishes that. And it also, like, I think will the community there will punish imbalance, right? So, if it's a game that's meant to be sort of like where you have these this asymmetry that makes it fun and confusing. Like sometimes BGG will like discount that. So it's, it's interesting to hear your perspective on it and that you enjoyed it so much because I, I think if I, this game had been described to me, I would not have thought that this was a game that you would enjoy. Yeah. 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 And just from the description, it's not right? right. Like, but it's, it was quick enough and laid back enough that it was, it was more fun than it was like, I'm enjoying this game because of the strategic value. Yeah. Like there are strategic decisions in the game without a doubt. Right. And like the better player will win the game probably. Right. right. So there's also dice rolling happening and there's dice rolling happening, but I mean it, you know, you're playing the odds, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But it was just like a super easy, relaxing game that we were very, it, it facilitated conversation very well. For sure. Because sure. we're like, okay, we're rolling, and it's like, okay, cool, I'm gonna do this, and like, what, you know, what are your plans for the weekend, type thing, right? It, yeah. it was just, yeah. it was one of those. The downside is that it is, it's a hefty price, right? Mm. I think the the core box is ninety. Oh, and that wow. comes with like eight or nine characters, and the the price is coming of custom dice, custom everything, custom yeah. tokens, cu- everything is custom, so it's a very hard game to manufacture, right? And so that that's kind of a problem. But the expansions, they sell like side expansions with like smaller characters or not smaller characters, but less characters, which is which is more affordable, which is probably what I would look at buying probably because I don't think it's something my wife would enjoy playing. Yeah. And so it'd definitely be something that I would be playing virtually. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, it sounds like you had a great weekend. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I got a lot of content in. Yeah. If uh, if if anybody, especially you, Dalton, (laughs) (laughs) specifically me, ever have a chance to get out there highly recommend it there's just something about having a ton of gamers come together and just enjoy the thing that they love mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a feeling you don't really get almost anywhere definitely and and it's it's special yeah awesome man well you've had a lot more exciting board game <laughs> <laughs> content than i have oh yeah yeah i i would the main thing that's been taking my attention recently is chess um, and oh, I, okay, I go yeah. in and out of chess a lot, like where I will um, be playing it on like just my chess.com app or whatever and, and, and like get get out of it. But the reason I wanted to talk about it um, is I hit like a I hit like a milestone. Like I broke 1700 um, oh, in like my snap. ELO, um, which was like something That's I've awesome. been working on for like a couple, like even a couple years. And so I was proud of that. And it's like, I feel like I'm getting to the point where it's like I, 
I make mistakes only like one out of like four games now, you know. And That's like, awesome. Like just like broadman, where it's like okay, I just like yeah. I just dropped a piece, you know. <laughs> like it, yep. Like it's it's getting like like less and less frequent, and more of the games are getting to just like positional things and like like interesting. It like I I dropped a I dropped a game recently where like a guy made a move and it was like I think it, I didn't like quite see the advantage, and it was about four moves out is where he like converted that to like a winning attack wow um, yeah and it's like okay like i'm getting to the point where i can see most of those and it's getting out to like that point so that was really fun um i am playing i will like qualify my statement a little bit i'm playing like daily chess um which is asynchronous chess um okay. so it's not quite like classical right classical would be like two hours on the clock and you get like a certain amount of time every time you make a move pressure um, or you, know, you hit like time you hit like time points where at the 40th move you get like an extra hour or something like that. That's okay. those are like the ways that it's played at like, you know, the world championship level. Um, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm not playing on the clock. I'm, I'm trying to hold myself to like, you know, if I'm playing daily chess, I'm only going to like sit there and like look at my phone and calculate for like a, a handful of minutes to try and be representative right. of what you might be doing in classical chess. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not like timed. Um, so to like combat that I did start playing more like blitz or rapid chess and I have found out that I am excessively bad at it. <laughs> Just very, very, very bad. My ELO in like um, rapid is like 900 or something. Oh, it's nice. Like, there you it's go. like dipping into eight, you know, like still higher, still higher than my normal ELO. Well, the only reason for that is because it like started me in that range. Like it started me at like yeah. 900 or a thousand or something. And it's yeah. just been like going down as I've been playing. <laughs> so we'll see where I bottom out at before I start. Right. Um, before I start That's going great. Up. That's great. Yeah. But I just like, I don't know. Like I can, I can see very basic. Like I feel like in that. So like rapid um, would be like ten minutes with no extra time. Okay. And blitz is like five minutes with no extra time, Yeesh. or like three minutes with like you get two seconds every time you make a move. Oh jeez. Um, so it's fast. Um, yeah. And it's it's like the point where you are making a move just like only on instinct. You know. Right. Um, yeah. You've played a lot of chess to be good at blitz chess. Yeah. Yeah, and you can just like see things and you just make like quick decisions and. And there is a strategy to like, okay, I'm going to stop and calculate this for a little bit and like sit there and you'll see people do that. They'll pause for like, you know, even as much as like 20 or 30 seconds of their time and then start making moves really quickly. Yeah. Um, like they're calculating multiple moves ahead. Yeah. Type thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah like yeah. they're stopping and they're like, this is a really important moment in the game. I'm going to stop and like, think about it. And I have not gotten that skill yet. I've not figured out like when to like, <laughs> you know, invest yeah. in my time to like sit and think. Cause I just sit there and I'm like, ah, oh, the time's running out. I just make a move, you know? And then it's like, that was bad. Yeah, like I've gotten really good at noticing when I make a bad move, a second and a half after I make it. I'm really good at that. Is that because your opponent starts laughing or? Right. How? <laughs> but I've like I've done I've like been sitting there like I'll take a break from work or something and like play a game. That's the nice thing about it is you can like spit out games, yeah. right? You can play yeah, it's very super quickly. quick. Yeah, um, and so like I'll do something I'll be like shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh bummer! Like that was a bad move, and then like the guy like takes advantage of it. And you're like, yeah, that's fair. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but the good thing I'm is glad like, you caught that too <laughs> yes exactly i'm glad that you saw my mistake and now you can take advantage of it the good thing is i saw a i don't remember if i've talked about this on the podcast or, or not before but i i saw a a a like a like almost like a ted talk type thing given by someone who is a professional poker player and she said like the reason i'm good at poker is because i see like every hand as like an opportunity to learn and she said it's really easy in poker to like when you like lose to say that was just bad luck and when you win to say right. like, I'm a really good poker player. Yeah. Right. And in both cases, you lose the opportunity to learn from that experience and that hand. And then she was like, you know, and then like poker, like hands happen super quickly. So like I, you know, 
play tens of thousands of poker hands in a year or whatever. And all of a sudden I'm good at it. You know, it's just like yeah. <laughs> by learning a little bit every time you get good at it. Right. Um, and so I'm trying to like keep that mentality. That's a good thing about it. It's like when I do this like asynchronous, just like the daily chess, you have like three days to make a move. Um, right. And so like sometimes these games can go on for months. Like if people just are like moving really slowly and I, I might have like four or five games going at a time, um, but it means I'm like finishing a game like one per week or something like that. Like that's, that's a hard rate to like learn at, you know, cause it's just like, yeah. There, there aren't that many opportunities for me to make mistakes and there aren't that many opportunities for me to learn from them. Um, and if you've made the mistake and three days later someone capitalizes on it, you kind of have already forgotten what mistake you've already made right. in that game, especially if you have five or six going on. Yeah, for right? sure. It, it's easy to forget where you're sitting in a game. Yeah, yeah. And the the apps will do a good job of like letting you do like an analysis afterwards. And so they'll show you like, this was a good move or this was a bad move. And so you can definitely like do some self analysis afterward and like learn from it. Um, but again, I'm only maybe doing like one of those per week. And now I can do like 12 of those in a day. If I, if I want to, <laughs> you know, just by sitting nice, there and yeah. like losing a bunch of games and then being like, Oh yeah, I need to get better at like seeing X. Right. Fet. Yeah. Seeing okay. when my That's pawn really cool. is pinned. And so the other pawn is vulnerable or seeing, You're right. You know, I'm really bad. I found out I'm really bad at seeing backward movement in chess for whatever reason. So like if a bishop is on, if I move my bishop to their end of the board, I'm bad at seeing a good move if the bishop has to move backward. Like for whatever reason, all my Got pieces it. have to move forward in my head. Yeah. You know, only go, only go right Get to their <laughs> end of the board and screw their stuff up. And I'm just like right. bad at seeing that for whatever. And so like just like little things, it's like, okay, I can, I can take that away and I can learn from it. And then I go and that's really the next cool. Game. <laughs> yeah. And then you learn, you learn again, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And, and that's the nice thing about rapid losses is that like exactly what you were just saying, you can learn so quickly mm-hmm. that, that, I like that. That's really cool. Yeah, so that part has been really interesting. There are definitely... You can easily pick up bad habits. So you have to be really careful. Mm, it's easy to just like jump into trades because trades are fast. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know, just make the trade. And then you like wor- work it out and you're like, oh, I lost like Bummer. a minor piece there. Like, <laughs> right. like I, yeah. I didn't calculate that right. Or just like assuming that if I move quickly, my opponent will also move quickly. You know, like moving on like impulse and tempo and like trying to make fast moves that sometimes can work. And sometimes you can like get your opponent to not see something, but sometimes you like make a move um, that you intend to be very forcing. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm going to threaten this piece and they're going to have to move it. And then I'll move it over here and then I'll capture that other piece. And like, they'll never see it coming. And then you like move the piece and then they like stop. And you're like, what are they thinking about? And then you're like, <laughs> Oh crap. There's like a way out of that. You know, they like either move the piece or that piece is more vulnerable than I thought or whatever. And, and they like capitalize it on it. So um, a lot of things to learn, but again, like it, it's a cool, you know, exposing my, you have to be, you have to be okay to fail. Um, <laughs> and I think that's actually been the hardest part is like, it's the pride of like, I broke 1700. I'm such a, you right. know, such an amazing chess player, Yeah, which is not by the way, like I, I could never go to a competition or anything like, like 1700 is not that good. Um, so 1700 is incredible. So Magnus Carlsen's like 2,800 or something. Don't compare yourself to the best player in the world. <laughs> You're never going to be satisfied if you compare yourself to Magnus Carlsen. I mean, that's true. I, I, I was doing a little reading on, cause I was like, what does this even mean? Like what, like how, how do I, how do I conceptualize this? And so people will like rank five um, levels of amateur. And so 1700 is smack dab in the middle of like the second to best one. Um, and so, well, there you go. Like Perfect. it would be a through E. I would be like in the middle of B with a being like the best of like the amateur levels. And they say like yeah. in general, most people in to get into like a are starting to get coaches and basic lessons and doing reading and stuff. And, um, I'm not, so quite are there. you, so are you going to start getting 
lessons and everything i have put it honest to god i put it on my christmas list before <laughs> that's cool that'd be yeah that's awesome i think like once a week chess lessons would be kind of fun you know yeah and maybe i should stop and evaluate my life that i like no. strung that string of words together you know and set it no in a, in a absolutely place where people not are gonna listen to it but <laughs> do what makes you happy man yeah very true <laughs> and i do enjoy it it's a lot of fun um but yeah. like also to get start at some point in chess to get to that level you just have to like know openings and you have to do a bunch of studying and um, yeah there's a lot of homework basically that you have to do you have to study <laughs> games or study your past games study end games like oh this is a drawn end game this is a winning end game this is blah 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 you have to know all that stuff right um and i'm not I quite just, sure i want to do that yeah yeah you can create your own openings you'll probably lose but like you could do it that's right that's right <laughs> i'm playing white a3 i move my leftmost pawn forward dude it could throw some people i'm just saying like at the high level competition if you make one of those moves they're like okay what is happening right i think a3 is like the it's either a3 or h3 like it's one of those side pawns moving the one <laughs> space forward is like the worst move out of like the 20 like two or whatever it is like possible 24 possible maybe, chess opening moves maybe that's why i'm bad at the game no it is 20 yeah maybe maybe that's <laughs> i do want to play a game one time where like maybe i'll just do it in this rapid where like you know we do it for fun and the points don't matter. We're like, just move yeah. like your leftmost pawn one forward, right? So A3. And then they do anything. It doesn't matter. And then you go B3. And then they, they do anything like C3 and just move them all like one space forward and then like start over. You know? yeah. <laughs> just move just the pawn advance across the board. It would not work. Like they would start picking them off, but just be ominous. It'd be fun. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the march of the pawns. That's right. March of the pawns. Done. <laughs> That's so. incredible. But yeah, been, been enjoying that. Been getting, been getting a lot more out of chess recently than I kind of thought. And like I said, it does go in waves, but I'm, I'm kind of at a at a peak right now. So if you want to play, hop on the Discord and let me know, and we will definitely play a game. We can play unranked or we can play ranked. Doesn't matter to me. Um, we can also play chess 960, which is something that I didn't know about until recently. I don't talk about too I, much about chess. It's not a chess I, I don't know what chess 960 is. Yeah. I want to know is this something that Bobby Fischer yeah. invented? Okay. He, it's basically like the, so like it's, you start the game, it's all the same chess rules, but you start the game with all of your back row pieces like mixed up. So they're just in like a random <laughs> spot and it's, it's the same on each side. So it's like, mirrored. Okay. so it's yeah. not like you have a different, like, oh, he just got a way better setup or whatever. It's not like that. Um, <laughs> His asymmetrical power is better than mine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But like I, I've been playing, played one recently where like my queen was in like the leftmost corner. It was like queen and like bishop, bishop, rook and like night night king rook or something like that you know like it was just a weird like how do i even all the standard openings are out the window like everything yeah. is just kind of mixed up but yeah it makes castlings hard right <laughs> yeah <laughs> it will still let you do it it'll like let you switch them, which is <laughs> nice funny. okay cool but that's awesome yeah that's really exciting yeah there, there are two things that turned me off of chess one is that i was playing you know the three-day games and i just kind of got bored slash forgot about it yeah and two i am absurdly awful at chess and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> i got tired of losing every single game yeah so but i i'm glad that you're enjoying it the next will be bug house chess um which is something that brady invited me to do our, our friend brady who um who, who's a listener and on the discord um and the, i've never heard of it before maybe you the listener have but basically you're playing it's a, it's a team it's a way to play team chess so it's like two on two and you have two chess boards set up next to each other um, and they play on their own time so you don't have to like make one move on one board one move on or whatever you just play as fast as you want um, and anytime you capture a piece on your board you hand that piece to your partner and they can place it on that's their cool board. yeah and your partner's playing the opposite color of you that's right yeah so yeah, like if okay, I'm playing yeah. white I capture a black piece I hand it to my partner and he can place that black piece on the that's on his great. board I, it's like as his turn or whatever as their turn yeah. um, oh that's awesome so 
it's like it's totally wacky you know but it's, yeah it's meant to be fun so uh, that's really cool that, that's nice. that's the next step i think <laughs> nice <laughs> that'll be fun yeah for sure Alrighty, so let's uh let's transition into the main topic of tonight, which is Euro games versus Ameritrash games. And to do that, we had an icebreaker on our last episode, which was what was the most ridiculous board game thing theme that you could think of. And so we put it out in the the the, the Instagram world, and we we got a couple of responses. I think it's kind of one of these questions that may be kind of hard to think about and answer immediately so Mm -hmm. there wasn't there wasn't an absurd amount of responses but let's read some of our favorites um where did i put those i'm not cutting this (laughs) (laughs) listeners it'll be fine deal with it yeah (laughs) anyways archive okay so what was the most? What's the most ridiculous board theme and or board game theme? And like the picture on the background is Bosque, just because I think that's hilarious. <laughs> and it's it's the game that inspired the question. So, yeah. so we've got BG Junkie said the most ridiculous board game theme that he could think of is Exploding Kittens, sure. which that's fair. That's yeah. very fair. That should be probably at the top of a lot of people's list. Right. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> Bo uh, forty eight fifteen said the Bloody Inn is the craziest one that he can think of. Are you familiar with the Bloody Inn? No, that's a new one for me. Okay, so it's a it's a game that was published, I think it was about five, six years ago or so. And basically you take on a role of like an innkeeper that like murders and steals people that wow. stay there. So <laughs> it's it's pretty gruesome. Yeah. It's like it's not it's not a family friendly game. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah, a uh, real turn from our, you know, first reputations <laughs> of exploding kittens. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Which was, you know, lighthearted and fun. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Mad Board Gamer said Silk. So Silk is another one that I, w- I wasn't familiar with Silk. So this is a 2018 release. Okay. So it's a, it's a lighter game, but you're playing, like, the role of a silkworm, and you're trying to, like, move your silkworms around the map to the optimal space to harvest silk. And so... How exciting. Yeah, and I like to think that either someone slapped a theme onto it, like, (laughs) I don't know, or they're like, we are making a board game out of this. Like, there's no (laughs) in-between option there. (laughs) There's only like, what are you going to do in the game? You're like, gather silk. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and then my wife responded with pandemic because it's uh, super real. Yes, yeah. Which is very dark. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that we ended that on a very lighthearted note yeah exactly <laughs> uh and then i think we brought that up too is just like a yeah <laughs> it, like it used to it used to be a gateway game into like co-op specifically right now it's one of those iffy themes yeah now it's really hard <laughs> to pull out but i think this is a this is a great icebreaker question that leads us into our discussion and so euro versus ameritrash games dalton do you want to start us off by describing either one of those sure your favorite i think i i can just i can if i can give like a brief summary of both okay it would be that that, um euro games are boring and ameritrash games are interesting oh no (laughs) i'm turning off the zoom call right (laughs) no that actually makes me sound like i really prefer really theme thematic heavy games which i don't um but like (laughs) just to give a, a if you had to boil it down to one sentence i would i would say that that's what it would be in in theme, in general, Euro games are dry and boring, and Ameritrash games are built only for the theme, right? It's kind of your, 
it's the difference in your design basis. Are you building for the theme or are you building for the mechanics and putting a theme on it? Yeah. Okay. That That's interesting. I theme leans into it heavily for me. I have a slightly different version and okay. I could not find a like set in stone definition for either of these. And so yeah. I, that's why I think it makes such an interesting topic is because yeah. I think it applies a little bit differently to everyone. The way that I view it is that Euro games are typically a little bit more solitaire and most likely there are victory points involved. So you're kind of building an engine. So like an engine builder falls into this theme, but it's kind of a less head to head player interaction. Whereas a Maritrash or as I've seen it referred to as a Marathrash <laughs> games, which I vastly prefer. Yeah. That be slightly less elitist and judgy. <laughs> yeah. A Maritrash sounds so judgmental but right so amerithrash like mcdonald's or something i don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> right yeah but amerithrash games i think of more combat heavy games so games where you win when you directly are in conflict with an opponent yeah is kind of my broad my broad definition is euro games are typically more solitary and you're working towards a goal and amerithrash games are head-to-head i won because you lost yeah type game so but just like you were saying, theme plays heavily into a Marathrash game. Yeah, because I'm I'm struggling with that a little bit because like, I feel like I would call Dead of Winter an Marathrash game, right? But I would too. It would not fit your definition, right? And and my definition comes with caveats. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I I I would. Yeah, I, I'm just. Sorry, I feel like I kind of put you on the spot here a little bit. No, I no, no. Yeah, you yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> Please do. And so like I I'm. I kind of think I'm trying to think of like a, a, a unique or a good themed Euro right now. And so like, oh, I would yeah. think of like underwater cities or terraforming Mars. Like those are Euro games to me. Okay. And I think those are unique and interesting themes, right? Like terraforming Mars is 100% built around the theme, but it, you're working towards kind of this overarching like points, right there are victory mm-hmm. points in the game mm-hmm. and it's not like a head-to-head conflict i'm moving into your space yeah. like there is a little bit of that there's always going to be player interaction that uh, that's a very vast statement <laughs> there's, there, most often in any good euro game there will be player interaction yeah um but it's typically not a cutthroat i'm going after you um type type of um, interaction yeah yeah i think that's fair and 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 part of like nelson said part of what we're struggling with is these are not like real terms like they're they're terms that like board game communities use all the time and we're but, codifying them tonight so right. after tonight we will have a, right. we're a, gonna be a the ones universal who definition yeah. yep. yep um and i struggled <laughs> i remember coming into the hobby and really struggling with it because people would say it and i was like what, like, what does that mean right um and it's almost like people like you can look at a game and once you like play it, you're like, oh, I know that that's a Euro and I know that that's like a Maritrash or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they don't like, these are not like categories that you can go look up on BGG, right? Like the, it's right. not like a tag that gets applied to the game. Like they're kind of generalizations. And I think they're really, they're really stemming de- like what they're calling on is kind of the difference in mindset of design between like games that were coming out um, like early in the Renaissance from Europe. Um, and so you were getting, your Catans, your Puerto Ricos, right? Your like things like that, that had, they had like little wooden components that were very simple and they had very little player interaction and they were victory point driven. And it was kind of this like feeling like I want to use the word theme again, but almost like 
almost like genre, like, but without like having a play style genre, but just like a genre of feeling how the board game was constructed and what it felt like to play it, like fell into this really big umbrella um, that started being described as Euro and nobody like actually had a real definition <laughs> for it. And it wasn't actually like a meaningful sometimes yeah. even definition. They came out of Germany. Right. If it came out of Germany, it was a Euro game. You know? Yeah. Give me cubes or give me death. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it has wooden cubes, it's a Euro. <laughs> if it has death, it's an Ameritrash. Game. Right. So, <laughs> unless, unless your farmers are starving, in which case it's a Euro game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yes. I usually have found that people lean one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think, like, it's. I said you would have to guess at the end of the episode, but I don't think it's any surprise to anyone when I say that I lean on the Euro side of games. Right. Right. I I prefer my engine builders. I prefer my indirect interactions with other players. And that's just where I live. That's where my mind works. That's where I thrive. Yeah. I think that, Dalton, you enjoy those games, but you're probably more of a a Marathrash player, if I had to... If I had I, to guess, like I, I would say, I would struggle with like our difference in definitions, maybe a little bit. Like, okay, yeah. You know, like what I, I, I would often prefer to play Terraforming Mars over over uh, Dead of Dead Winter. Dead of Winter, yeah. You know, and I think, I think often I feel like a Euro game has a chance to be a better game. Okay. From just like from the onset, um, and again, I think it's coming from this difference in like marketing and difference in strategy, right? Where. In America, um, where the, like it took a, it took longer for like this sort of renaissance to hit, and even when it did, it wasn't as big of a part of like a part of the market, right? Like the board games for a long time were being um, marketed to sell in Target, right? Like they they wanted it to be on the shelf at Target, and they wanted like some kid to walk by it and say, "Mommy, get this for me." Right, right, yeah. and it had to be like flashy. It had to be catchy. You had to be able to look at it and be like, "This looks like a fun game to play," based on like the cover right? and like yeah, maybe yeah. what it says on the back if you got that far right yeah. um, whereas like every i think not every but for the most part a euro would fail that test right it would be yeah bought because you have had it described to you or researched the mechanics or like found it at a convention and test played it and you're like oh this is the type of game that i like you know yeah mechanics over theme type thing yeah i i think we can agree on the statement that if it's a crappy theme it's a euro <laughs> right because or or it's a very poorly selling ameritrash game <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah i i I think it's kind of they're not mutually exclusive like theme is not mutually exclusive to ameritrash in my sure. opinion yeah and but a dry theme is pretty much mutually exclusive with a euro yeah right yeah so like a concordia a farming trading spices in the mediterranean yeah those themes feel very pasted on which i feel is a characteristic of a euro game yeah yeah so <laughs> i'm trying to think of like just other like pasted on themes i think like code names comes to mind which is really funny. oh yeah that's bad you that, know it, yeah, like yeah. it's like this is a word game like this did not right. have to have like a spy theme you know um yeah and then Decrypto did the exact same theme as a word game. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, that worked, you know. But again, it's got to sell in Target, and like you, right? You yeah, know, you got to have a cool like code names, you know. Like, okay. Yeah, because people yeah. aren't gonna buy like Scrabble anymore, you know, unless yeah. it's like Game of Thrones Scrabble or something. <laughs> Ooh, I would I would buy Game of Thrones Scrabble. What would you even do? You just like you could only spell curse words. <laughs> That's all it's allowed. <laughs> Which is pretty great because that's what my vocabulary is basically limited to. So. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think you're right. I think like I I do tend to, um, 
I tend to lean into like interactive games. Um, yeah, and that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think like I'm struggling to think of a game that I would call like a Euro that has like heavy levels of interaction. You know, um, right? I'm blank. Like even like Catan brass. is like the most one of the more maybe brass. Yeah, it but like but even still like brass is pretty heavily interactive as a euro right and then you compare it to a risk or you compare it to ti and it's just like well it's not interactive at all right <laughs> right i'm right. using your stuff rather than i want to come in and kill all of you for right? sure like, for sure and i think also so, there's like there's this not everything is a euro or an ameritrash like they're, they're not all like it doesn't it's not like all board games fall cleanly it's into a these spectrum two, yeah categories yeah. right um, yeah. I think, yeah, it's a spectrum. And then there probably are things that just like don't fit on it at all. Like I think you, and I think I'm bringing this up because of Twilight Imperium where I think there are like really intense mechanics and I think there's a really intense theme going on. And I don't think that right. like, either yeah. one was like the, like Twilight Imperium would not have been meant to sell in Target. <laughs> it was not, it's like, <laughs> it's way too much for that. Yeah. You know? it, it's yeah. priced well above where you would sell in a, just like a standard, I don't know, supermarket, you know, it's not going to be on that shelf. Um, so <laughs> They're going like, to carry that inventory for a long time. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, e- Eclipse, Gloomhaven. Like, I don't know that I would like strictly call either of the, those games like Amera thrash games because i don't know that they're like gloomhaven is not specifically like interaction focused right um yeah it's not specifically like over theme over mechanics focused like it has it has this really good like balance of both and um i think part of what i feel is that either 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 uh categorization implies like a failing in one or more area right okay um i don't know if that's like totally true across the board like you know there might be games like terraforming mars that some of them could say like this is a euro and and where it does have successes in both areas but i feel like if somebody is going to say like oh it's a euro or like oh it's an america like for the most part they're saying that as like a negative connotation yeah and i think it needs to be viewed as if someone says that that should kind of give you a baseline on what you should expect from the game Mm mm-hmm Rather yeah. than a, oh, I'm not going to like that. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I love Euro games. That's where I live. I also enjoy a lot of Amerithrash games, right? Like, right. I, I would play TI. Like, I, I enjoy TI, right? Yeah. I'm like, Robinson that was a Crusoe. bad example. <laughs> Robinson Crusoe, right? So yeah, there are these games. Dead of Winter. Game. Yeah. Dead like, of Dead of Winter. I, I love Dead of Winter. Yeah. Right. I don't not like it just because it's an Ameritrash game, right? right. So that. It, it's more of a categorization that should kind of give you an idea of what you should expect from the game. Yeah. Is it going to be kind of theme and interaction heavy or is it going to be, am I going to need to push these cubes around and grind some gears for two hours? Right. I need to break out my calculator. and <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating. Um. <laughs> Do I need an Excel spreadsheet for the game? If so, it might be a Euro. <laughs> you might it's like jeff foxworthy you might be a euro if <laughs> right. you might no, be man. a euro <laughs> so i the other thing that i was kind of thinking about is that if i had to build a definition and i i don't think we're gonna be able to you know write a webster's dictionary definition of these right. tonight but i think that ameritrash leans into the story mm-hmm. which is, is very th- thematic it's very synonymous with thematic but i i kind of think of it as a little bit different in the sense that like whenever i am talking about past experiences with games almost every single time i do that it's about an ameritrash game Mm, yeah right i i never can really tell you about an epic 
time that I had playing Great Western Trail. Right. Right. That's a good point. I love playing Great Western Trail, but it's like I can't ever point to like this thing where it's like, uh, but like Game of Thrones when Harlan swooped in and killed, you know, the Targaryen dragon. And it's like, oh, like, yeah. took a, and it's like, so there is that where I think that Amerithrash games tend to have a higher experience rating mm. for most people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Like, even if you just think about games that are intending to tell a story, they would fall pretty cleanly for the most part into that category. Like you think of Betrayal at the House on the Hill or yeah. um, Time Stories or, again, even just like Gloomhaven to some extent. Um, right. And a lot of the cooperative games that we've talked about, Eldritch Horror, right? Like these are these are games that you are playing specifically to have a story, have an experience, be able to walk away from a game night and tell people about these like crazy things that happened. The, you're right. The most you can do in in a standard Euro is like describe a weird combination that you came up with, right? Like a, a weird engine that you built right. and you're like, oh, it was really cool and it like, kind of worked. <laughs> this card comboed with that, which comboed with that, which right. did this and everyone has left at that point. Right. <laughs> Not interested. Yeah. 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 Not to say that we don't have as much fun, right? We have a ton of fun playing these yeah. Euro games. Um, yeah. But it's just like not exactly what stays with us all the time. It definitely works a different part of the brain. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and good, bad, indifferent, whatever. That is just what it is. And so, yeah. like, I think that the board game community, at least on Instagram, leans a little bit more towards the Euro side. Either yeah. that or I just don't follow the people who like Ameritrash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fair to say, just like overall, like, I'm. You know, I struggle to look at the top 100 in or top 50 in Board Game Geek, you know, and, and feel like it's not in some way kind of dominated by a lot of Euro games. Yeah, and that's fair. Um, not to say that okay. there aren't Ameritrash games on there. There, there definitely are, but it yeah. just kind of, it, I have this feeling that that's kind of the majority. Okay, I want to play a quick game with you. Okay. Okay, I'm going to, we'll, we'll see how well this goes, and that will determine how long the game goes. Okay. I'm going to name a I'm going to name a game, and I want you to tell me immediately if you think it's a Euro or an Ameritrash game. Okay. But okay. by whose definition? <laughs> Just after this discussion, I don't know if any discu- if it's been swayed, but I'm, I, I have a couple of them that kind of are in the middle of that spectrum. Okay. Oh, so okay. Spirit Island. Oh, Spirit Island. Uh, trash. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't say trash. Sorry. Ameritrash. <laughs> it's not, it's not a trash game. Yeah. Robinson Crusoe? Think Ameritrash. Okay. Gaia Project. Euro. Okay. War of the Ring. Ooh, Ameritrash. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, that one's Mage a story-focused one. What's that? Yeah. Mage Knight. Am I just stuck on Ameritrash games? It's, that one's <laughs> a hard one. Uh, I think I'm going to say Ameritrash because that was my first. I also I think that like the list that I built is on my spectrum, but if you're just going off theme, a lot of these, like I, I built a list that is like cool-themed Euro games oh, or Ameritrash. Yeah. So um, that might be why I'm stuck a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Scythe. Euro. Oh, okay. Well, no, okay. I think that's, I think the reason I said Euro is because I, when I think of Scythe, the first thing that comes to mind is like components. And I think yeah. of like, um, like I, you know, I think of the, it's not cubes, but there's like the resources and stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, food chain know. magnate. That's a Euro. I think that one feels taverns Euro. of teeth and Euro, I guess. <laughs> These are hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, I can't be wrong because there's not a le- like there's not like a legally binding definition anywhere. So right, you know, I'm just yeah, gonna say yeah. I'm right no matter what. <laughs> and the last one is through the ages. Through the ages. I feel like that's an Ameritrash game. Really? Okay. I don't know. That's that one's hard. <laughs> I, the only reason I say that is because I think it was done for the theme. Like it was built specifically. Yeah. To, it, it definitely was built for the theme. Yeah. And that's like that's where I'm trying to like that's where I'm trying to draw the line like. 
like what is was the, the theme yeah, well yeah i guess it's not even just the theme but it's like what was the focus in um production you know like what what was the goal was it to put out a game that did a specific thing or was it to put out a game that was you know looked a certain way or whatever or gotcha had a okay IP or whatever i think yes. that's the the best that i've come out of this conversation is the the difference in methodologies between the um markets right the euro market yeah. versus the american market so so your the definition for euro versus ameritrash is kind of the intent of the designer on you know are they building around theme or are they building around mechanics yes yeah i think which theme is maybe which, a little bit narrow but in general yeah yeah story or, or yeah. narrative right right yeah and so that's a that's a good way to put it yeah i i like that i think it's interesting i think you're wrong but like it's, it's a good point <laughs> i think um, it's hard <laughs> to say like every engine builder is automatically a euro and every tech yeah. builder is automatically a euro and every yeah. like uh dudes on a map game is automatically a um like a an ameritrash game like i, I think that's a yeah I, I don't totally love that line in the sand i guess and and, and that's fair that's yeah. fair um like one of them that has really blurred their lines recently which i don't i have not played i don't think you have played it's called dwellings of ever 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 Vale. ever ever Vale. don't know it. i just butchered that but <laughs> so it's it, it's a it's a dudes on a map type combat system but it's kind of a worker placement and each one of your units has a different ability but it's so it's like you're basically like attacking the worker placement spot as far okay. as I understand it. Gotcha. And so, huh. which is, I think it's a really interesting blend and people love it. I mean, it's incredible components. Yeah. Um, awesome theme. So yeah. it's one of those that kind of like is kind of blurs that line and maybe like smack tab right there in the middle of that spectrum. But yeah. Yeah. Like what about, um, what about like Lords of Waterdeep? To me, that's a Euro. And I feel like that's fair. Um, but I do think it was kind of like constructed with a theme in mind, you know? Yeah. Um, you could also put trading in the Mediterranean as a theme on that. Right? It doesn't need to be D&D themed. Yeah. So. Yeah. It definitely doesn't need to be D&D themed, but they were like, I think, looking for that, right? <laughs> like yeah. It came from Wizards. That's what sold it. Yeah. That's what sold That's it. That's what sold right? it. Um, but it's yet like it plays like a Euro. It totally feels like a Euro. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know, a worker placement type thing. Right. And so... I don't know. And that's why I think the, the topic is so interesting is yeah. because so many people have vast definitions of what these types of games are. And everyone I talk to has a different way of describing it. Yeah. And it's kind of fun to see how everyone describes it. And it's like it's we come we almost have like the same ish ideas. Mm -hmm. Like we're in the ballpark. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, that's what's kind of great about the terms is that when someone says a euro, you kind of have an idea of what it's going to play, yeah. how it's going to play. For sure. Were there um, any like areas where I majorly differed from you? Uh, on those games? Yeah. On those games that we listed. I know Scythe, Ooh. just because you like, yeah, Scythe? To, like comment on it. Yeah. Scythe, I think through the ages, the euro game. Okay. Um, let me, let me pull back my list, pull, pull up my list again. Um, I think through the that's ages of the Euro game. That's, in, that's an interesting take because that is a 4X game. Yes. Right? So I would think of that as more of, um, like you had, you had talked about like uh, player interaction and combat and stuff and like that sort of yeah, starts to right. fall cleanly into that. But it had, like, I think it, you think of it as a Euro because it has feelings of engine building and it has counting victory points. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like the majority of at least my victory points typically come from an engine builder. I have built this much mm -hmm. stone. Therefore, I score X amount of victory points. Right. Uh, Mage Knight, I think that kind of falls right there in the middle. Mm -hmm. I would probably lean a little bit more towards the Ameritrash, kind of like you, what you said. Yeah. Um, Gaia Project, I think we both said, um, Euro on yeah. that one. Yeah. Spirit Island, I would say Euro. 
Yeah, I think I the saying. reason Gaia Project is a Euro is because if you um, asked what is Terra Mystica, right, that's a Euro. Yeah, yeah, right. Just because yeah. you made it space theme doesn't mean that it's all of a sudden a different. <laughs> like, it's all of a sudden marriage. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, Spirit Island I think is a Euro, and I think you said a Trash. I think um, for me, I feel like I tend to call cooperative games Ameritrash. And I don't know that it's totally fair, but I think it's it's sort of like how you tend to call engine builders Euro games. I feel like I'm tending to call cooperative because I think they're like, they're trying to tell a story and yeah. like, it, and so it's sort of falling in there for me. And I, I'm changing my answer. I think Spirit Island is Ameritrash. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it is direct conflict. It is. Right. It's not with the players, have, but there's a bad guy. <laughs> right. Conflict yeah. And it's it's very narrative driven. It's very theme heavy. Mm-hmm. It is engine buildy. Right. Okay. Yeah. No. I I just thought that that would be kind of fun to just run through and kind of see. Yeah. The other thing that I meant to do, but I didn't have enough time, is to on our we have a giant spreadsheet that has all the games that we've played with our mech ratings on it, and I wanted to add a column to that to say like Ameritrash or Euro, and like maybe like Nelson Ameritrash. Nelson Euro and Dalton right to see how we rank those and then sort based on that and see which has the uh, a- the higher average value oh that yeah that would be interesting because yeah. this same spreadsheet has all of our mech ratings in it and so you yeah. can see um, kind of how we rate it in different categories and how that you know sums up to overall and how if like the mechanics my guess is that the mechanics probably are going to be a higher average rating mm-hmm. but the experience the Euros, yeah the experience for you is probably going to be a higher for the Ameritrash. Mm-hmm. I think those two um, will like tend to correlate. Like it's not like strict a strict yeah, um, correlation, yeah. but they will like tend to trend together. Yeah. Um, that the that the two would be you know would kind of bring each category up. And I think um, the other the other like just again we've already said it, but the other big takeaway is that like it's it's not like every board game falls cleanly into one of these two categories. And I think that's an important thing to understand. Yeah. Like we're yeah. we talked about like this list of game that games that Nelson rattled off. And and the fun thing about talking about these games specifically is that they are not cleanly in either category, right? That's like why they got picked yeah. to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. So you almost need like and a third on there that's like <laughs> could not classify <laughs> it. <you know>? Yeah. <laughs> DNF. Right. Um, <laughs> and I the the one rating that I think is highly correlated would probably be components, mm. right? There will be some outliers with the euros, but I think Ameritrash really has a strong correlation with the components rating. Yeah, Euro would put out a game with just you know, it was, if they could boil it down to just colors of cards and basic <laughs> shapes, they they will do that. <laughs> yeah, give me cubes to push around. Right. I want to move those cubes to that side of the board. That's right. my object, and I can do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think like Catan is a quintessential euro game right like i don't think i think yeah. i don't think anybody would fight that katana is a euro game um, no and it, I mean, basically it was literally that. made in germany so. exactly it was made in germany <laughs> like in the time when like you know euro games were becoming a thing and had the wooden right. components it has very ba- like five cards that basically are just colored like they yeah they have a little symbol on them but you know that you could play yeah. a game with just the colors right you know what about the $250 3D Catan version that just came out? Is that in America? The one that sells in America? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, so, random sidebar, if you haven't seen that, go look at it. It looks incredible. Yeah, they are gorgeous. But it's also 250 bucks, and that's a lot of money. So, yeah. But yeah, just to look it, at pretty things. But yeah. people spend that much on art, so, you know. Yeah. They spend a lot more I'm, than that on art, actually. But. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'll go buy it. Um <laughs> I'm so glad I could convince you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Twist my arm, Dalton. Jeez. Right. No. 
Katana is one of those. We're just rambling at this point, but Katana is <laughs> Katana is one of those games that, like, I liked it the first time I played it. Then I didn't like it as like I got heavier into board games, mm-hmm. and now I'm back to like I like that game. Like it's it's relaxing. Yeah. Right. It's not going to be a cutthroat game that I expect to win, but it's it's a fun activity. Yeah. Yeah, I think like people can take Catan really seriously, like super. Like there's like Catan competitions, which I, I still right. just like fundamentally disagree with that. You know, <laughs> that, that, like you can play that in a competitive sense. The same players win, so yeah. there is some strategy, right? And I know, yeah, that's true. Like statistically, I'm just wrong. Like there are there are people who are the best at Catan or whatever. So like, <laughs> right? I, yeah, I, yeah. I am. I understand that this is a position that I'm just incorrect <laughs> in, but still, I die on the hill. That's fair. Yeah. But you're right. If you're like sitting and having a drink and just playing a ton, yeah. it's, it's like, yeah. like you said, how's your weekend? You know, like all that sort of stuff can happen over the table. You know, if you're in first place, you're not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and you just got to accept stuff like that. And it's fun regardless. So totally. Yeah. We, we love to hate on Catan. It's, um, it's a Euro trash game, you know? <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's a spectrum and that is the word for what comes in the middle of that spectrum is a Euro trash game. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's, uh, Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's a game that ignores themes so bad, so <laughs> excessively. <laughs> no, not quite. But. Yeah. Euro trash game. You heard it. Alrighty. I, I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> since it's such a nebulous kind of definition, I'm really excited to hear what you all have to say and what you think is a Euro game and what you think is a Meritrash game. Because I'm sure we left out elements that are defining points of each one. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like, I, I did. I'm not going to say I did a lot of research, right? But I feel like, you know, my 10 years of board gaming is my lot of research in, on this topic. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think this but is one that I, I didn't do a ton of, like, preparation on just because it's like, I've done it before, and I know if I Google the phrase Euro versus Ameritrash, I'm going to just get garbage. Like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I do want to hear what you all think. Are, are you kind of in Dalton's camp where it's built around where Euro games are built around mechanics and Ameritrash games are built around the theme, or are you kind of in where it's kind of an intent thing? Or are you kind of in my camp where the, the, the correct camp where it's a where Euro <laughs> games are good and Ameritrash <laughs> games are bad. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> where, where Euro games kind of are the mechanics that built to victory points and Ameritrash games are the cutthroat um, go after direct head to head player mm-hmm. interaction type games and again it's a spectrum but i want to hear kind of what you all think and what if you have different opinions if you have if there's something that is there the western's dictionary version of this out there on bgg somewhere Mm -hmm. if so then it's not in the first page of google um (laughs) (laughs) and by that he means it didn't show up in our extensive research yeah exactly (laughs) usually i go three pages in this time i just did one yeah just so yeah fair but yeah, so let us know. It'll be interesting. Let us know on the Discord or let us know on Instagram. Those are probably the best places that you can uh, talk to us about it. I'll post a story. I'll, I'll post a story. Um, and More have promises resp- on, the, on the cast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> but so and then um, in our next Fireside episode, if if they align with my ideas i'll i'll read off some of the answers so yeah sure. well uh, <laughs> <laughs> hold oh, into yeah. it guys hold into it 
Awesome. Well, I'm glad we got to uh, kind of squeeze this in here before the end of the year. If we don't like see you on the discord, dear listener, happy 2021, happy 2022. Happy, happy holidays. holidays. <laughs> it's been a really fun episode. It's been a really fun year doing this with you all. Yeah. Absolutely. And you, especially Dalton. So thanks man. Yeah. I cheers to I another year. <laughs> <laughs> cheers to another year already. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Cheers.